You're listening to Cortez Community Radio, CKTZ 89.5 FM. I'm Dee Clark, and this is Cortez Currents, which you can also access in text form at cortezcurrents.ca. For the last week or so, Cortez Currents has focused on the theme of housing. As part of this theme, we're reviving a story from February 2021, slightly updated. It remains quite relevant. It's pretty common knowledge that we have a housing crisis, both on Cortez and in Campbell River. In fact, there's a housing crisis in many, perhaps in most, of the popular or attractive places to live in North America and in Europe. One of the factors often mentioned is Airbnb. Airbnb now has global impact and qualifies as a phenomenon, and it vividly illustrates the predicament of good for one is not necessarily good for everyone, also sometimes known as smart for one, but dumb for all. A more familiar example of this predicament might be the private automobile. The automobile is a highly desirable technology. It offers a combination of freedom, comfort, and convenience that any human would find hard to resist. It can travel faster than a horse-drawn carriage, and these days it's much simpler to operate. It keeps us dry and warm while in transit, and we can come and go as we please without having to check any train or bus schedules. So it's hardly surprising that once the price point fell sufficiently, hat tip to Mr. Ford, everyone wanted one. But As with most magic carpet stories, there's a catch. If enough people within a limited area, like a city, all want and obtain private automobiles, then the utility of those automobiles and the amenity of the city as a whole actually starts to degrade. There are what's called diminishing returns, and then finally negative returns, as the popularity of cars and our investment in them increases. In the 70s, it was estimated that the time to transit any major U.S. city by car had fallen back to something just below horse and buggy speed. This was due to traffic congestion, or, to put it more plainly, too many cars. The car had been so successful that it was undermining its own utility. Cyclists and pedestrians suffered from poor air quality, noise, and displacement from the public street, not to mention increased risk of injury. Car drivers suffered from painfully slow and irritating trips through the congested area. So willy-nilly did passengers on public buses. Moreover, in sprawling cities such as Los Angeles, arguably the most car-centered city in North America, space that could have housed people or businesses was instead dedicated to giant parking lots thus intensifying the sprawl, which then obliged people to drive even further, and so on. The magic carpet turned into a kind of finger trap. What was clearly smart for one turned out to be very dumb for all. From this example and from others, it's pretty well understood now that there are some benefits, amenities, and strategies that just don't scale well. A case could be made today that Airbnb might fall into that category. If a high enough percentage of people in a given area start participating in it as hosts, there are some baked-in negative impacts that will hit the community as a whole. 
First, let's consider the smart for one aspect. Airbnb has undeniable appeal, just like cars. What's not to like? In exchange for a relatively modest cut of the transaction value, Airbnb provides an online bookings database, a rating service, maps, etc. It provides a moderate but somewhat reassuring level of identity verification and acts as a payment gateway so that guests need not hand over their credit card information to hosts. It makes B&B operation easier and more convenient than ever before. There are further incentives to participate. Visitors are willing to pay a much higher daily or weekly rate for lodging than a long-term local renter would. An Airbnb host might make as much renting out a room or a cabin for just two weekends a month as a local renter would pay for a whole month's occupancy. Also, these short-term B&B guests are not covered by the terms of the Landlords and Tenants Act. The Act, which was written to protect tenants against predatory landlords or arbitrary evictions, now makes it quite difficult to oust a non-paying or misbehaving tenant. Every property owner, I suspect, has heard at least one story from a personal friend or a family member about a nightmare tenant situation that turned into an extended, stressful drama, sometimes involving lawyers. So for the homeowner with a spare room or a small cabin on their property, Airbnb sounds like a really appealing alternative to ordinary renting. It sounds almost too good to be true. High daily or weekly rates, very low stress and risk. B&B tenants are transient. They have no rights. If you get a bad one, at least they'll be gone soon, and you can give them a bad rating on the reputation server. Again, what's not to like? It all makes perfect sense. It also seems attractive if we're trying to relocalize economies, trying to empower more people to generate income using their own resources to be self-employed, and so on. Increasing incomes without a long commute, capturing tourist dollars for local prosperity, it sounds like a classic case of community economic development. And now for the catch. If enough people in a community make a perfectly smart and sensible decision to use Airbnb as a way to make some income from inhabitable spaces on their property, eventually we begin to see externalized costs to the community at large. Spaces that once would have been available as residential rentals suddenly become unavailable, at least during the tourist season, and possibly year-round, because a landlord could make enough money just in the tourist season to leave the space vacant during the quiet months. People who can't afford to own a home now find it harder and harder to rent a living space. If they do find housing off-season, they may well be evicted at the start of each new tourist season. This kind of seasonal housing economy is particularly difficult for young families. They can't as easily just camp out or live in a van as a young single person might do. There's a more general demographic effect, too. The community inexorably tilts more and more towards exclusivity. Property owners and relatively affluent tourists can afford to live there, but non-property-owning workers cannot. But the immediate impact on local renters and community demographics is not the only gotcha. The local economy, which at first glance seems like it should benefit, also experiences some negative externalities. As it gets harder to find affordable rentals, that is, rentals that can be afforded on entry-level and service wages, employers are now starting to have trouble finding workers for the summer because there's nowhere for those workers to live. 
This labor shortage in turn makes it harder to run the same local businesses that are serving and depending on the tourists who are staying in the Airbnbs. The growth in tourism, which in theory should benefit those businesses, is simultaneously undermining their labor force. And since the amenities provided by those businesses are a large part of the appeal of the destination, a threat to those businesses, in the end, is a threat to the Airbnb activity as well. There are other externalized costs and unforeseen outcomes. If enough people start Airbnb-ing, their combined accommodation starts to add up to the equivalent of a mid-size hotel. I've heard it said that there are over 60 B&B accommodations on Cortez Island. Now, if someone wanted to build a new 60-unit hotel on the island, there would be hearings, there would be zoning considerations, there would be traffic studies, public process, and probably considerable resistance. The impact on local roads and ferries would be discussed. But if the 60-unit hotel materializes slowly, one perfectly sensible decision at a time, there's no public process, and the impacts ramp up very slowly until they become a fait accompli. I do want to emphasize here that no one intends any harm. Everyone is just doing what makes sense. There are no bad guys here, and yet the long-term impacts are substantial. Communities around the world are now struggling to come to terms with mass tourism and the Airbnb phenomenon. Cortez Island is far from alone in experiencing this predicament. And I'm using the word predicament here because there's a big difference between a predicament and a problem. A problem is what happens when something goes wrong with the working system. Something is not working the way it's supposed to. And the thing that has gone wrong can be fixed within the parameters of the system. A predicament, on the other hand, is a negative situation that is fully implicit in the system itself. It's a result of the system working exactly as intended, not malfunctioning in any way. The Airbnb situation and its negative impacts are fully implicit in interlocking systems. The money economy, the cultivation of tourism as an industry, and the rise of eBay-like technologies, which inevitably someone was going to apply to B&B management and promotion. The negative impacts are not the result of anything not working. They're the result of systems working exactly as they are supposed to work. This is the result of success, not failure. And again, I emphasize that no one is setting out to do any harm. But decisions that are smart for one sometimes turn out to be dumb for all taken too enthusiastically, taken too far, they can threaten the quality of life and the economic basis of the entire community. This is when the core tools of governance become useful, public process, planning, and regulation. The only way out of a predicament is to retune or to redefine the system to generate different outcomes. No one wanted the outcome, the ferries are so crowded that I can't get to Campbell River and back in one day. Nobody wanted the outcome, young families have to spend the summer season living in tents, or I can't find enough staff to operate my tourism-related business. And yet those outcomes were baked into the unplanned growth of Airbnb. And this is just one example of the negative returns of excessive tourism in general. 
As we think about community politics, planning, zoning, and similar issues in future, one question to bear in mind at all times is, what outcomes do we want, and what outcomes do we want to avoid? How can we obtain the outcomes we want without painting ourselves into a corner that we may regret later? Challenging questions such as these are being asked on the Cortez Island Facebook groups, in our local press, as our housing crunch gets more painful. Island organizations are grappling with the paradoxical externalities of success. Groups such as CEDA, the successor organization to Chibata, and the Cortez Community Housing Initiative with its ambitious Rainbow Ridge project aimed at providing affordable housing. So this seems like a good moment to consider those big questions. What outcomes do we want as a community? What kind of community do we want to be? Can we find economic development opportunities that build towards those outcomes? How can we recognize and avoid apparent opportunities which over time may actually undermine those outcomes? Since predictive power is never perfect, we can never be 100% sure about the consequences of today's choices. But by looking forward consciously and learning from our present predicament, we may at least mitigate the downstream costs of our successes. With honest dialogue and democratic process, we can hope to become smarter for all. Just a reminder, the views and opinions heard on this program are not endorsed by Cortez Community Radio, its board, its staff, its membership, or any granting agency, but are those of the writer, producer, and guests. As always, thanks for listening.